When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. All right, welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. Today, I am joined by Mariah Siddiqui, who is one of the new ITB hosts at large because this is a bigger project than Patrick Beeman can do alone. So we've invited a number of motivated people like Mariah uh, to join us in helping, you know, teach med students how to think like question writers and fulfill that part of the Hippocratic Oath, which is to freely teach this art, uh, namely of medicine. So Mariah, welcome and thank you for helping ITB. I I really can't express uh, enough how anytime somebody's like, I'll edit a question, I'll send an email for you it, it it means a lot for real no problem and honestly like thank you so much for letting me be a part of this community to help medical students and doctors everywhere because podcasts are so so helpful to students especially when we're trying to study but we can't you know read or we can't um sit down and study they're so useful to have so thank you for actually starting this podcast patrick yeah, yeah, totally. I, I mean, it's been it's been fun, and you know, on that note, if anyone else wants to get involved in ITB podcasting uh, to their fellow med students, info at insidetheboards.com. Um, always looking for people to help uh, help us do these sorts of like series, and especially come like February through June ish when Step One comes around during our Step One Study Smarter series. That's you know, even though step one is going to be pass fail now, um, still super helpful if you can study on the go and save some time, which ultimately is ITB's, you know, kind of purpose uh, to give you back some of your lives um, that meds, med- medicine has stole from you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'm sort of kidding, sort of not kidding. So many things to complain about. But let's not think about those um, because actually we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving 2020. So let's be thankful for medicine, for this profession, and for the people who are willing to help us fulfill our goals of helping others, Um, which you will find out if you haven't already that being a doctor is very often about knowing how to enlist the help of others to help this other person. Um, Like... You know, simple example, hey, where's the bathroom when you're walking in the hospital? Someone grabs me and says that, like, oh, I, I have no idea. You know, like I, half the time, I, I go to this one bathroom. That's the one I use. Um, or the phone rings on the L&D uh, desk, and it's like all this anxiety. Like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. I can answer it, but I, I can't send the, the call anywhere. I don't know how to do that. You need others to help others. But all right, I'm rambling. Mariah, 
tell us about yourself. Um, what year of school are you? So I'm a third year medical student at St. George's University in Grenada. Cool. Yeah, so I'm actually doing my rotations right now in New York. And uh, just a little bit about myself. I like traveling. I like to be in the outdoors. Um, I like computer games. Like what? Like I play some League of Legends sometimes with my friends. I'm not like the best at it, but it's a lot of fun still. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just trying to like study. I have shelf exams coming up, a, a whole um, two whole years of rotations to to do. So just find, you know, I'm trying to find a balance of studying and having a good time, I guess. Yeah, balance, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I have not made as many episodes lately. And yes, a lot of it is because like I opened a clinic, still doing um, OB hospital stuff, um, kids, like, plus like a, a shit ton, ton of other things, things I just, you know, can't, can't get, get into. into. But also, also partly because I, I got an Oculus Quest. Holy <laughs> crap. I mean, that thing is crazy. It It's like the um, experience you had uh, probably a lot of us. Um, when the iPhone came out and you like got an iPhone, you were just like, what? So it's fascinating. Yes. And a camera. And you can play games on it and like a whole bunch of other things. So the Oculus is a true game changer. So not sponsored by Facebook saying this. I wish we were quite frankly. Um, Then we could pay people like Mariah uh, (laughs) to help. (laughs) But um, but yeah, it's it's pretty sweet. So if you ever get an Oculus, they'll they'll be within the price range of many of us um, who even aren't attendings. Uh, but I don't even probably should say that because it sounds totally like, yeah, he, he should talk. He doesn't subsist on loans, which is true. <laughs> it took a while to get there. Um, all right. League of Legends, you play that. You like to be outdoors. And what podcasts do you like? What's your favorite non-medical podcast? I actually listen to audiobooks more than podcasts. Well, I like podcasts. That are medical. Past one or two, then. Past two audiobooks. Past one was The Alchemist. Um, I read it many times, but I also like to listen to it again. And the one before that, I forgot the name of it, but it was about, it was like very cliche how to be like a more positive person and like how to take life um, in a more positive way and just to. You a pessimist? No, I think like it's more about how to. I'm actually like very optimistic, but it's more about how to like deal with your own um, problems in like a healthy way. It's just like a very cliche, like self-help kind of book. Um, but it was just on my like list of books. So I would just listen to it sometimes. It's helpful though. Like a lot of that sort of self-help stuff. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've sort of realized since I've been doing like this outpatient um, opiate uh, opioid uh, use disorder treatment is for people who actually need to help themselves. Like that's not everyone. Like I talk to patients with opiate uh, use disorders all the time now, and you just get the sense, and usually they do too, by the time they're like coming to ask for medication-assisted treatment, um, you, you just realize like the, the people who have their lives, quote, together um, versus those who don't, 
they kind of follow even like that 12 step program, just like without being conscious of it, you know, like they, when they, when they're struggling with something, um, or they have a problem, they have the insight, self-awareness, they know themselves enough to recognize it and say, I have a problem. Um, a lot of them don't see themselves as the center of the world or even their world. So, I think the second step is, you know, giving yourself up to a higher power or recognizing that your life has become unmanageable. Yeah. And then I think it's giving yourself up to a higher power. I definitely know that one's in there though. Um, but there's 12 steps and I just don't memorize lists anymore because I don't have to. I'm not in med school. No, just kidding. But, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, don't knock the fact that you're listening to that. I can think of a lot of books that I've read, especially since I started doing the ITB stuff in 2016 or 15, um, about personality theory, um, psychology, a lot of it popular psychology, business type books, or these motivational type books, as it were. Um, but a lot of it's good. And a lot of it can help provide a framework for your life, a, a plan for your life, at least give you something. So figure out which one that is and let me know. Maybe I'll listen to it. <laughs> I will. Um, all right. Medical podcast then. What do you listen to besides like ITB stuff? I also like Curbsiders. Um, I love their internal medicine series. Is it good for boards prep? Parts of it I think are. Like some of the stuff is more like article based and kind of controversial stuff, but a lot of it is board prep, um, just like basic medical knowledge that is useful to know when you're rotating or during, you know, internal, med internal medicine um, rounds or anything internal medicine related. So um, I really like that they use cases, that they use articles because it, it helps to solidify like my own knowledge. Because if it's just like some like repeating facts or if it's just, you know, content, it doesn't always stick as much. But if there's like a case that I can link something back to, it helps me a lot more. So I like I like doing uh, I like listening to their podcasts. Cool. Um, I can think of a few a uh, few that are getting popular that I don't want to mention. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I will say uh, uh, one thing I've been I've. I feel obligated to tell the listeners, um, even though, of course, please, yes, continue to listen to Inside the Boards, but um, the Divine Intervention podcast uh, with Divine, I forget his last name, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. He does uh, some excellent work, like breaking down concepts. Um, and despite how many emails, Reddit messages, times I've filled out the form on his website, and uh, comments I've made on YouTube videos, uh, he won't get back to me. So any of you who are listening to Divine and maybe doing one of his reviews, tell him to contact us or respond to one of my emails because I know we could work together for the good of all of you. And maybe I'm coming off too strong, but I don't, I don't give up. I just keep sending emails so someone replies. All right, so uh, what do you think you want to go into? I'm not 100% sure yet because I haven't done all my rotations yet. Smart. I do enjoy internal medicine. I also feel like neuro is something I'm interested in because I personally, like I get migraines. 
So today's like topic is also going to be about headaches. So that's why I feel like that would be a good um, specialty for me. But I'm honestly like I'm still clueless right now as to what I want to do. That's okay. How did how did you know that you wanted to go into your specialty? Well, number one, I liked everything pretty much during third year, which is I think the best position to be in. I went into med school with the mindset that I'd probably do like surgery because surgery is so cool. And it is. I've enjoyed doing surgery, um, the parts that I do over the these years. Um, but my background was in philosophy. So I also knew I wanted to do something related to ethics, bioethics. And with that in mind, I, you know, I, I try to do too many things for sure. Um, and I especially love when I can consolidate goals and you know you have overlapping things so like dual degrees oh man what a great idea uh, as an example but um i kept thinking about my overall goals looking towards the future what did i want my life to look like and how i wanted my life to look was based on uh, one of the biggest influences that i had in becoming a doctor which is uh, the late dr edmund pellegrino uh, who has been called the father of bioethics. Um, he was a huge proponent of medical humanities. Um, I was his uh, fellow during my second year of med school at, at Georgetown um, over the summer. Um, and he just, he wrote 600 articles. He was the president of a university uh, at one point. Um, he uh, had dual appointments in the departments of philosophy and medicine at Georgetown. So to me, that would have been like the ultimate thing. Like, oh my gosh, I'd be a professor in two different departments doing bioethics and, and also practicing medicine. Um, so when I got to the end of third year, done all the rotations, I was like, surgery? Nope, not doing it. Got depressed for uh, like legit the first time during October of 2008 when I, or yeah, 2008, um, when I was a third year. And I was like, yeah, probably not going to do that because these are not my people and ruled out other things like peds. Um, I was not, I don't know, peds didn't strike me. It just didn't capture me. I mean, yes, absolutely. Things were interesting, but um, I don't know. It didn't really like pull me in. Uh, what else? Ruled out family, uh, probably in large part because the the clinic that I shadowed was like super busy and I just that is not what I thought being a doctor would be like and it's so hard to develop relationships with people now which is what a lot of us well it's probably what we think about going into medicine um, and probably what we ought to be doing as we interact with patients building you know healthy relationships uh, and I just whatever. I whittled it down to OBGYN because there's a crap ton of bioethics issues. So there would have been a lot of opportunities for you know, research publication. Um, and frankly, in a world where uh, people are so polarized and can't talk to one another, um, there really isn't, I think there's a couple, but there's very few people who have the medical expertise and the expertise in, in bioethics to be able to, you know, shepherd people through, uh, you know, difficult moral quandaries. Um, so that really attracted me, a lot of material potentially there. And then psychiatry, I just liked um, also a lot of ethical issues in psychiatry, which was attractive. Um, but when it came down to it, I didn't really want to leave the OR. I didn't want to, 
I liked physical examination, and so I didn't really want to leave that either uh, at the time. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know I've probably definitely changed my outlook. At the time, I think, too, there was this uh, psychiatry is like not really a, you know, it's not like being a real doctor. Um, and I know that probably still exists out there, which is ridiculous, honestly. Now I kind of see psychiatry as like the ultimate uh, doctor because, um, I mean, it literally means like physician of the mind or soul. Um, and the, uh, the stigma, I guess, maybe I was prideful. Maybe I thought, nah, I'm not going to do it because it's not prestigious. I don't know. Because looking back, I probably should have done psychiatry knowing my ultimate goals in just the fact that I, I can't just do one thing. And if you do a specialty like general surgery, neurosurgery, OBGYN to a large extent, you got to be all about that and nothing else because it just takes so much time to do it well. Um, so I don't know. I rambled a lot, but I, I honestly, I don't know just how it worked out. I know it was a week before I, I ranked that I was still torn all my friends were like, dude, don't do OBGYN. And if you're a male who's been on an OBGYN re <laughs> rotation recently too, uh, you will know that it is, it's an, it can be a very awkward experience. Um, people kind of look at you askew like, oh, why is that person doing that? And granted, there are a lot of creepers. There are a lot of creepers out there. Um, but the challenge of doing obstetrics um, you know, there's there's so much like awesome stuff about it. And I think a lot of people don't realize medical training pretty much, you know, clinifies you. You just get so clinical about so many things um, that the normal people out there who have not been hurt by medical education or changed by medical education, transformed their way of seeing the world, uh, they just don't get. Still, my friends just, they ragged on me, you know, They're like, don't do OBGYN. And then made inappropriate jokes, which I won't repeat, and which everyone out there, if you are an OBGYN, don't ever make an inappropriate joke. There is no place for it, and it is a surefire way for you to like start down the path of being a creeper. So Yeah. <laughs> little extra little extra professionalism goes a long way when you're dealing with super sensitive things. And there's tons of applicability to that. Like, don't ever let yourself say something negative about a patient who has an addiction who comes in and is, quote, like trying to game the system to get high. Um, that's, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. You know, don't, uh, don't get annoyed by the little old ladies, you know. Yeah, I feel like we have to separate our, our immature selves from our professional selves sometimes. Let me ask you, do you think that the whole way we do medical education nowadays, does that prevent people, you know, f with their age matched peers from being mature, from maturing enough? That's a good question. I feel like honestly it depends. There is some there's there are some really young people who are very mature and there are some very like some older people who aren't as mature. I feel like it really just depends person by person. Um, in terms of med medical education, I I honestly don't think that, 
I don't think there's like any way to really change much of how we're getting taught to make people more professional because I know they they really really hammer that into us in school to be professional to make sure that we don't you know make jokes or do any sort of inappropriate um, stuff in the hospital outside the hospital on social media or anywhere so I feel like honestly it just depends on who the people are is that your question sorry is yeah yeah pretty much and you know even about that subject um Pellegrino wrote a number of uh, uh, books and articles, like uh, 600 articles, I think like 20 books. And a lot of them deal with the concept of a profession. Like ours is not like a job. If you're thinking of it like a job, um, you're wrong. Uh, Ours is a profession where um, there is an inequality that exists inherently within the relationship. Um, the doctor has all the knowledge, um, all the power, if you will, um, in, in, in meeting somebody who comes to them requesting help. You know, I profess as part of this moral community of medicine to be a healer. Um, and then people, you know, look upon that and come to me with these expectations. So professionalism, it seems to me, is kind of um, devolved in its conceptualization into a checklist of things like if you have piercing um, on your nose, you take that out or don't let a tattoo show, um, you know, be on time, uh, make sure your, your shit is ironed. Uh, I don't know, you know, things of this nature. And, and, and that is all, there are aspects of that, but really professionalism is, it's, springs from being a virtuous a good person i think and it's hard to teach that like can virtue be taught um you know people have been asking that since plato um which the dialogue the mino if you're interested uh in exploring that further um but yeah professionalism like what is professionalism because i have a bunch of tattoos but I did not get a tattoo until I was a second year resident. And I will tell you now, absolutely now, I I will defend having a bunch of visible tattoos because with my patients, it's like instant rapport. Um, you know, the the they just think I'm legit because I'm I mean, I like to think because I am, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm trying to meet that maybe I'm just playing a part. Maybe it's somewhat of an act from who I am outside of the clinic. And it probably is to a certain extent. It needs to be because, you know, you'll get terrible news. Trust me, at some point you'll get terrible personal news that that really hurts or you'll be going through something really tough in your personal life. But when you knock on that door, because you're always going to knock first, that is part of being professional, uh, but more so respecting privacy. Um, from the time you knock on that door to the time you leave, you are playing a part. You are, you know, being that, you know, professional um, and you, you have to act and you do it for the good of the patient. So that's not to say everybody should get a visible tattoo. Definitely if you're on ro- uh, rotation or in any context, keep that shit covered. Uh, initially, and then when you've won people over with your winsome personality, uh, then you can be a little more relaxed. 
Yeah, I, I agree that a lot of it's your character. And I'm, I'm really glad that you got your tattoos and you can like express yourself through, you know, through that. And people with their, you know, there's people who like to dye their hair or do their nails and like tattoos in, in your case. And I feel like there's a lot of like stigma attached to things like that. But I'm glad that you're starting to kind of help <laughs> break out of that. Like, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Mold? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also, I will grant you all like full disclosure, like uh, Nick um, Nissen, who's uh, part of our platform. He's one of my partners in this whole endeavor. First year uh, resident in psychiatry at Harvard. I remember we had, we had this conversation once. And he was like, "Look, you admit like you're you're like kind of a weird, or you're a different you're a different kind of person, right?" I was like, "Or you're different." I was like, "Yeah, that's true." Um, so you know you have to take yourself with a grain of salt and and truly as well. So maybe maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't know. Just embrace it. Embrace Just embrace everything it, that you yeah. are. <laughs> Don't do anything illegal or, you know, wrong. Um, But aside from that, like, you know, be the best you can be, like, enjoy your life, set it up. Don't, don't take any crap from anyone, like as much as you can value time over money. Um, When you negotiate contracts in, (laughs) when you're becoming an attendings, like think about what truly is important. And uh, for a lot of people, that's going to be time because you can't get that back. Exactly. Like, I think it's very important to be around positivity, uh, good vibes, like good people. So I, I really agree with that statement. But now I can ask you the question that I have written out. Oh, yeah. I guess we should get into that. Yeah. Turn the tables. I'll be I'll be the student. Okay. So I'll be the new host. Okay. The question is, a 31-year-old woman comes to her physician due to numerous headaches in the past six months. She states that her headaches last five to six hours and are unilateral and throbbing in nature. Her headaches are sometimes accompanied by nausea, and she says she needs to lay in a dark room until they subside. Ibuprofen helps her headaches, and doing any physical activity makes them worse. She states that her headaches have increased in intensity in the last month, and she's been having them four to five times a week. Her vitals are unremarkable. Um, which of the following therapies is the most appropriate in the long-term management of this patient? Is it A, ergotamine, B, propranolol, C, sumatriptan, or D, naproxen? So what do you think, Patrick, when you see this question? Yeah, which of the following therapies is most appropriate in the long-term management of this patient? So, a couple things. She's already taken ibuprofen, right? So, I'm going to not immediately rule that out, but because it's the same medication class, it's probably not going to be the right answer. So, less impressed with that one. Um, Ergotamine, so ergot alkaloids, I believe they're uh, first line for abortive medications. Um, Yours... uh, Sumatriptan, right? Are those the uh, ergot-based drugs or is ergotamine? I can't even remember. Ergotamine is the, I guess it's like that's its own drug and then sumatriptan is in a different category of drugs. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
See, don't even remember that. <laughs> so uh, I would have ruled that one out, though, because I um, uh, take it to be an abortive medication, whether or not that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, sumatriptan. Oh, I didn't even see that that was an answer. I wasn't paying attention. Um, sumatriptan is, uh, I know, a first line for um, ab- abortive treatment of a migraine. And then propranolol is going to be your um, prophylactic medication. So to me, long-term management, I, I would go with propranolol. Yes, you are correct. So okay, good. awesome job. And I like the way that you talked it out because everything you said was um, like spot on. So propranolol is a beta blocker. It's normally one of the first line drugs that's used in long-term prophylaxis for migraines. So how did you figure out that she was having a migraine at all, like as opposed to maybe a different type of headache, like a cluster headache or a tension headache? Well, I mean, the the way I would do it is uh, based on the the features in the vignette. So, and because you see these pretty commonly, um, and also the answer choices are very geared towards migraine. So I remember that portion of things. Um, so I look through, it's the 31-year-old lady. She's got a bunch of headaches over the past six months. They last for hours. They're unilateral and throbbing, which unilaterality and the throbbing nature character of the pain is uh, quintessentially quintessential of migraineurs, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great term. Yeah. Uh, the accompaniment with nausea, um, improvement or photo uh, in the dark or having photophobia, um, all these things just kind of have me uh, focused on on that as, as the go-to answer. And I would expect a different characterization of pain with the other um, headache syndromes you mentioned. Uh, so I didn't even really think about it at this point, to be honest. But you you got like everything right. So everything you said was correct. Like the nature of the, the pain, the throbbing, unilateral um, pain, as opposed to something like a tension headache, which would be more bilateral. It's like called band-like pain. And a cluster headache is normally associated with pain um, behind the eye or, you know, there's also like rhinorrhea, lacrimation, um, and some other symptoms, but with migraines specifically, there's the nausea. They can present with an aura. So there's two types of migraines. Normally there's migraine with aura, migraine without aura. And an aura is just like a, some symptoms that occur before the migraine happens. It could be hearing things, seeing things, um, having like a change in vision. And that's something that people tend to that's when people normally realize that they're about to have a migraine so um but a lot of people also have migraines without without auras so um overall like migraines are very common about like 15 to 17 percent of females get them so it is more uh, female dominant and about five to six percent of males get them the exact like pathophys is unclear it's something that they haven't figured out exactly um, the cause. Well, that's good because there probably won't be questions on that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's good. But it like sucks for people like me who have migraines and 
can't ever find anything to get rid of them. But they they think there's like some association with the trigeminovascular system. There's some peptide peptides involved like uh, CGRP and and some other like hormones. So that's kind of what they also aim when they're thinking about for that's what they aim at when they're thinking about treatment. We talked about the aura, um, the headache itself. It could be from four to like 24 hours and sometimes even like two two or three days, which is pretty crazy. And a lot of times people have like phonophobia, photophobia, um, and nausea and vomiting. So there are some triggers for migraines, like different foods, smells. It could be loud noises or like even things like coffee. And there was like a study that was actually done. Um, it was talked about in an article that was published in November in the New England Journal of Medicine that did like a study that showed that um, triggers, like they tested a group of people to see if their trigger was actually a trigger for their migraines or their like presumed trigger. But they found that like, I think only three out of like 20 something people ended up having a headache after their trigger was um, like exposed to them. So I don't know about the whole trigger thing, but I do know like certain people do have a lot of triggers. I still don't know what my trigger is. So what about um, the pounding mnemonic? Because I also think about that or pound mnemonic. Yeah, there is. It's Uh, pound. I remember it. Um, Pulsatile. O, whatever O is. (laughs) Unilateral. Nausea. Disabling. So... Those are kind of the the clinical features to help you uh, remember. But what is the O? So it's pulsatile. O is for the hours of duration, I guess, for 72 hours. The unilateral. Oh, like one day. Yeah. um, One day. That's what it is. One day. Oh, one day. Okay. Okay. So the O is for one day, unilateral nausea. And um, the D is for disabling, I think. Yeah. Because it's like very, very debilitating. It's which that makes that brings up a good point too. It took me a while to realize that in um, common parlance amongst patients, people will report a history of migraine, right? I have migraines all the time. And uh, for, you know, you, the students out there, if you're not used to this, a lot of times they just mean I have bad headaches or frequent headaches. Like, oh, I have a migraine. You're thinking, oh, you got to take like an abortifacient med- medication right now um, and or an abortive medicine right now. Uh, take your triptan. But but like I have migraines and then they tell you they, it feels like a band squeezing my head constantly on both sides. Nah, I'm not really nauseated or anything. I don't really want to move my head. Um you know, is it pulsatile? No. And they like don't have classic migraine features. Um, they're just saying migraine. Um, so migraine can mean just bad headache to patients a lot of times. Like pap smear can mean uh, pelvic exam. I, that took me a while to figure out too because they'd be like, what? No, you don't need a pap smear every year. That's weird. Um, but patients often just don't realize that the, you know, Papa Nicolaus smear is literally a specific type of 
um, cell collection, pearl, little clinical pearl. Yeah, I don't know about the pap smear thing. That's pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely definitely encounter that. And you know, sometimes it makes a difference. Like somebody says they have migraine, um, and you don't investigate that further, it might change what you give them as far as therapy goes. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully you're on your toes and learning to think clinically, which often involves too understanding what the patient is saying and the fact that they might not use the same language um, in a, uh, a fashion that you are. There's There can be some equivocation there. Exactly. Like, I feel like a lot of people use the word headache and migraine interchangeably, which yeah. like, which is totally understandable, but I feel like migraines are very specific in their own, in their own way. So know what I've found? Oh, you have a history of migraine. Have you seen a neurologist before? If they say yes, then they probably have actual migraine headaches. Like they have a migraine syndrome. If they haven't, then, you know, it's not as helpful, but, um, it's pretty, I would say specific. You can rule it in if, um, somebody has seen a neurologist. So Exactly. And, and like you said, you have to be on your toes because sometimes these patients, for them, let's say like they don't have a migraine and it might be a, a mass or, you know, a tumor of some sort. That's something that we always have to rule out as well. So it's really, really important to get the entire history from the patient to figure out, is this new onset? You know, did you have any trauma or injury? Um, because you know, you don't want to miss a brain tumor. So, and, and they do cause headaches similar to, to migraines actually. So, but then there's like different types of migraines. There's um, chronic migraines, which are uh, migraines that happen more than 15 times in a month. And then um, for those, like they have some di- different treatment options as well. But just to quickly talk about treatments, um, like you mentioned before, like the abortive therapy that would be things like um well i guess first line actually probably would be tylenol or um an NSAID yeah cuz actually i rec- if i recall you give like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen three times a day often for pain related stuff uh but there there is like a uh, some neurologists or people will give like 1000 milligrams of ibuprofen yeah. To do like an abortive thing. But what is that? What what does it mean abortive? Like you get an aura and then how long do you have to take it before you may not be able to um, change the, alter the course of the, the headache? Like in, in regards to when to take abortive therapy uh, medications, every person is different. Like people know their aura, people know when they're starting to have a migraine. So like for me, for example, I can tell my migraine is coming when if I'm walking in with every step, I feel pain. I know that I'm going to start to get my migraine soon. So that's when I would normally take Advil in order to stop the pain. And it's like you said, it's 800 milligrams or some crazy dose that is not normal for people to take. But for these headaches, you have to take a crazy dose to to get rid of the pain. I mean, I wouldn't say it's crazy dose. It's only like another pill. Yeah. 200, you know, 800 is usually the max dose at one time, but. Yes. Yes. You're right. I always like when people see me taking four pills of 200 milligram ibuprofen, they 
all like freak out because they're like, wait, you're taking four. We normally take one or two um, for like their other pains. But, you know, for someone with migraines, like you have to you have to take um, a higher dose. And that's just that's just how it is. I mean, and honestly, actually, most of the time, like for post-op pain and stuff, you know, for your and to your like broken bones and uh, MSK type ailments, it's it's usually like 600 to 800 um, every six to eight hours, not to exceed 2,400 milligrams in a day and normally 801 dose. I mean, this stuff isn't going to be on the boards, but uh, just for perspective. Yeah. So if you're out there having some sort of pain and you're only taking 200 or 400 of ibuprofen, this is not medical advice. It's only for educational purposes. Uh, but a person would probably do better to take 600 or 800. Yeah. So, just saying. <laughs> I Yeah, my, my doctor was actually the one who told me to take the 800 instead because the 200, 400, 600 even wouldn't do much at all. So, um, and like Tylenol doesn't even work ever for me. Um, but every, like every patient's different. So you would take things like NSAIDs, like you said, um, aspirin in order to just get rid of the headache if it's like an acute onset. But if you had like a really, really bad headache, you could take things like sumatriptan or ergotamine. Is that how, how it's pronounced? Or is it ergotamine or ergotamine? I mean, like in medicine, I would say it's there's probably they're probably both acceptable pronunciations, but I can't think like what it would be appropriately. Like it's probably more likely a, a short O, so it's probably more like ergotamine. But I don't know, I could be wrong. Write in if I'm totally wrong. <laughs> Um, so ergotamine, um, sumatriptan, those could be given acutely as well. And sumatriptan is also kind of like prophylactic, but um, I, I personally never had it help me, but I don't know. So after sumatriptan, you could start with like prophylactic medication. So the first things that they normally tell us are lifestyle changes. So you know, your diet is very important. If you have any triggers or just eating healthy in general is very important. Following a regular sleeping pattern, avoiding uh, any of the triggers that might cause your migraines. And then things like pharmaco pharmacological things would include stuff like anticonvulsants. So we have like topiramate, um, beta blockers like propanolol, metoprolol, also the TCAs, amitriptyline, um, and calcium channel blockers. But then if you have chronic migraines, which I suffer from, you could take um, anti-CGRPs or CGRP um, monoclonal antibody medications. So that's wow. those are normally like injectables. The brand name I think is Imgality um, for one of the medications. I That's the one I take every month. It's like a subcutaneous shot you have to give to yourself wow yeah it's very painful <laughs> and then like the last last resort after you've tried everything else is botox so they put botox injections in the forehead and um, parts of the head and the neck and also the shoulders because sometimes that pain can radiate and cause migraines so i got that done as well that honestly seemed to help me the most personally like instead of having headaches every day 
I would have them every like third or fourth day. So, um, yeah, like that's if you have chronic chronic migraines, that would be the treatment reg- the regimen that you would go with. And so the indications for implementing a prophylactic medication are are there kind of hard and fast guidelines that you know might show up on the boards cuz I think for the acute treatment you can probably take the progression that if it sounds like a headache without other factors that scream another cause that is like life threatening or very serious, like a thunderclap, worst headache of my life sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just garden variety, if you will, headache. Um, on the test, first it's going to be acetaminophen or an NSAID. If that doesn't work for migraine, the next would be a triptan medication, uh, sumatriptan, rizotriptan, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the Third line sort of uh, headache thing treatments would be the ergotamine you you mentioned, um, and then other fancy stuff that probably would not show up on an exam. But if you have like, is it like two two migraines a week? You need prophylaxis or or what? It's either two attacks per month that can cause disability for three or more days, or it could be two or more per week regardless of the severity and just having severe like disability regardless of the frequency at all. So those would be kind of like the indications of when you should start prophylactic therapy. I would say too, like on an exam, they're not going to like do like borderline like, yeah, like a person has two attacks per month, but it's like 48 hours each time. What they'll be wanting you to do is think clinically. And if somebody, they only describe one um, headache attack attack per month, but it's ongoing, and that person like can't work. That's that's probably enough to to implement a prophylactic therapy because these they're not re- remember really trying to test definitions. Sometimes it feels like that, but um, the distinction between two attacks per week, regardless of uh, how bad they are, versus two attacks per month but are super bad, you know, cause disability. They'll make it clear. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. I don't think I've ever seen like a, a really tricky migraine question that was, you know, very, very detailed. And it was never like borderline. It was very, very obvious that it was a migraine. And they always add something like an aura or nausea or vomiting or some some huge giveaway to, to let people know that it's a migraine and not like a different type of headache. And they normally test on like the pharmacological like treatments. Ooh. So I would say... For board's purposes too, just, and these will be kind of random and also review, um, one of the ways they could set up questions related to headache or migraine specifically uh, would be to present a vignette um, that is clearly a diagnosis of migraine, um, but also throw in some sort of past medical history that would be a contraindication. And then ask which of, you know, the following is the most appropriate treatment. So let's say a person has hypertension and you get like answer choices for treating this uh, migraine uh, are going to be sumatriptan or um, ergotamine or I guess actually both those. That'd be a tough one because you you don't want to give hypertension, hypertensive patients, either ergotamine or a triptan. Um, so then you'd move on to like even third line things, but, um, 
I'm not setting that up too well. No, but, but exactly like like you said, like if someone was hypertensive or like they had some sort of heart coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, um, or, or if they were pregnant, you, you wouldn't want to give a tryptin. Um, and same for like the ergotamines, like pregnancy, you can't give it CADP, uh, peripheral vascular disease, hypertension, like those are contraindicated. So for those, you would either try the lifestyle modifications or give a medication that wouldn't affect their current um, illness. And even like, for example, with if someone was hypotensive, you wouldn't want to start them with a beta blocker. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you got to be be on the lookout for stuff like that because those are, the, you know, you can get so uh, zero in on this being a test setting or, or whatnot. But like, yeah, if somebody's heart rate is 50, um, probably don't want to give them a beta blocker. <laughs> exactly. So there's always like little things to look out for. What about recommended best resource or can you think of a standout sort of podcast, YouTube video, uh, med, med ed like products that, that really explains or breaks down headaches well? I'm using Amboss right now okay. to yeah. read about it. I also like, there's an article in the New England Journal of Medicine I mentioned earlier that broke down migraines really well. But if you want to like, if you want to compare the different types of headaches, I like using Amboss. Okay. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot more uh, students will be hearing from you. So I would say, you know, you can also email podcast at Inside the Boards if you'd like to join Mariah and do like a, I don't know, a study sort of group or sesh um, that we record. If you're good at teaching something particular, you know, reach out to us and give back. Uh, this, is, this is everyone's platform, not mine, uh, certainly. So. Yes, and if you ever have a topic you would like us to talk about or that you would like to talk about, please let us know. That way we can cater to everyone's different needs, yeah, I guess. <laughs> exactly, totally. All right, well, Mariah, thank you. I guess we'll just end it there and uh, look forward to hearing more from you uh, throughout the next year and a half, maybe? You going to stick around for fourth year with us too? Yeah, for sure. I would love to. So thank you so much for having me be a part of your team. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get more people to join you too. Yes, for sure. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thank you.